Hello, hello, and welcome to episode 138 of All Booked Up, the Buffalo and Erie County Public Library's podcast about books, movies, and all things pop culture. I'm your host, Michelle Snyder. And I am Jacob Miracle. As we record this today, it is frigid out. It is I could like terrible, hear man. the wind. There's nothing worse than getting up when it's dark out and hearing like... Yeah, I... I and you're like, no, I don't want to join that world. Yeah, you hear the wind and you're like your bones just start to creak. Just even in bed, you're just like, I don't want to get up. And I will say, though, I am really enjoying this news story, which I'm sure by the time people listen will be old news because stories have like a 24-hour shelf life nowadays. Yeah. But the whole Reddit stock market oh it's thing. great it's great isn't it I, I laugh a little bit because now it's like now there's calls for more regulation on wall street and it's like oh you don't say this is if you are not familiar everybody you should look up about hedge funds that short stocks in essence very quickly if you had a stock and you're like it's worth 20 bucks and you're like i'm gonna kind of quote unquote lend it to someone so mm-hmm. they're like here's 20 bucks i'm borrowing it but you're you're hedging that it's going to drop in value. So when you buy it back for seven bucks, then you're like, yada, I made profit. But you have to buy it back because it wasn't really yours to sell. Yes. Well, this is just a thing that they do to make money. And some Redditors were like, hey, some of these companies that they're banking on failing, like GameStop and AMC, why don't we buy the stocks? Because they're really low. So they did, which boosts the price up. But these head fungers, they, they they have to buy these stocks back because, you know. Yeah, because otherwise they lose a ton of money. So, but to, to buy them back will cost them so much money. It's a really beautiful. It's It feels great. kind of like a Robin Hood story of like a bunch of nerds that wanted to save like their favorite businesses. Oh, yeah. Now, I, I'll say as of right now, I love it. I don't know if there's some sort of long-term negative effect i do not know enough about economics or stock markets let me just well, put it, that out there it did kind of goofify the stock market it showed everybody it's a little bit smoke and mirrors man if it could be manipulated it's this lo- i mean easily. all you have to do is is uh look at dummy elon's stock there because you know tesla that, that it's not worth anything no. it's like all just numbers as opposed to value so i just hate that garbage yeah it's, but seeing p- yeah. people that have all the money have to lose some of the money will never not feel good it's <laughs> it's, it's good. pretty awesome it's like the, it's like watching the last hour of wolf of wall street it's a nice little catharsis at the end there that's true gosh that money that m- movie forever <laughs> just is so fun it's so fun gets, um, gets better with age let me and tell then you. other things in the news in general that made me I guess happy is the word. What, also wait, slash what's that word? old. You say, did you just use the word news and happy in I the know. same sentence? What are you talking about? But it was that the film Almost Famous turned 20. Oh, did it? Yeah. <laughs> I didn't realize it was 20. I, 20. Wow. That's that's. It's a long time ago, and that is an like important movie. And man. I can remember watching it. The coming-of-age story that touches on journalism and sex and rock and roll and the perils of being cool one of my favorite music movies um it came from such a great voice so it's cameron crowe's film which 
if you know anything about Cameron Crowe, there's that dude. That that's a legit genius right there. That guy. He really is, and he was already such a beloved voice in cinema for kind of high school tales, like Fast Times at Ridgemont High. He wrote, which I did not even realize. I've seen that movie so many times. Oh yeah, I, I saw it recently, and like in the opening credits, it says you know written by Cameron Crowe, and I was like, wait, what? Based on his book. Yeah, I was like, I did not even. I know what. And then directed, like, Say Anything. I mean, you don't get much more cult classic. I know you love Say Anything. Do I? I think so. I do like it. Oh, well, it. you know, I'm getting it mixed up with uh, that Christmas one. Never mind. Shut up, Jacob. <laughs> um, and then Almost Famous came out in 2000. This was a film that he worked on the screenplay and everything for 10 years. Well, wait, wow. Yeah, it was just something. And, you know, he would do well, other thorough. things. And then he would come back to it. Like, for example... One of the characters in Almost Famous, whose name he had to change, was Jerry Maguire. Oh, really? Because then he ended up making a little film called Jerry Maguire. How, I wonder. So. I wonder how the guy's mood changed. He's like, "Oh, you get, Tom Cruise is going to play me. You can go ahead and use my name. It's fine." It, well, I think it was just like you know a fake character in his movie. He was like, "I like." I had heard he goes through his high school yearbooks and kind of picks out names that he likes. I'm, of, I'm not of surprised, but. You know, so Almost Famous was a coming of age story for sure. And it really gave everyone a backstage pass to the 1970s rock and roll scene. And I think in the process of that, it has become a classic. Oh, and it's why every it's one of the top uh, music movies around. Like, As it, it's always it, in the top five list whenever people mention them. And it's really interesting because it is a semi-autobiographical account of Cameron Crowe's career as a teenager writing for Rolling Stone and Cream Magazine when he was legit 15. Which is pretty awesome, you gotta gotta say. And, like, let's talk about the cast of this film. So we have Kate Hudson, Frances McDormand, Billy Crudup, Zoe Deschanel, uh, Patrick Fugit, Jimmy Fallon, Jason Lee, Patrick Seymour Hoffman. Come on, there's more. Got Who? Anna Paquin's Anna in Paquin. there. Anna Paquin. in okay. there. Rain Wilson's in there. <laughs> like Eric, for... Eric Stone Street, Mark Marin, Peter Frampton, and Mitch Hedberg. These, all these folks are in this movie. I mean, it's really crazy. And Peter Frampton, who's in it for a second, but he served as the film's technical consultant. Um, because the the main character, the, the Billy Crudup character, which we'll get into, is kind of based off of Peter Frampton. Oh, okay. I and then the songs were all co-written by Crow and his wife, you know, just a little Nancy Wilson of heart. Is, this, is that really his wife? Yes, that's who oh, wrote wow. the music. They're oh. not married anymore, but they were well, for quite a while. That explains why it's like pretty good, man. Fever Dogs, that's a that's a good track right it there. It is a good track, of course, because she's amazing. She's yeah. one of like the top 10 um, best female guitarists of all time. She always like, breaks the top 10 record which if you've ever heard some of those old heart songs you're not really surprised those, I love, those are I toe really, tappers those, man those wilson sisters know what is up but i'm gonna go out and say that i think this is one of the best cast films that i've ever seen yeah it's and the fact the way everybody like just merges together like everybody seems like they're cast specifically for the part they're playing and they all just fall into it perfectly they like really, even the small side characters like the actors just seem like they're just supposed to be that character oh d definitely and it really like launched kate hudson's career oh absolutely did she got an oscar nomination for this movie did she yeah best supporting actress wow she was like one of the favorites it was kind of a surprise she didn't win it that year i don't remember who else was up but i know that cameron crowe won his only oscar for this film for best original screenplay which i'm surprised he only has one would have swore that he would have won i would have swore some jerry Maguire. 
Yeah, he got nominated for like 50 things for that movie. Yeah, and nothing happened. So, okay, obviously this episode is going to be about the brilliant film Almost Famous and how it turns 20, Mm -hmm. and we're going to kind of chat about it. So I'm going to give, you know, a synopsis of the film if you haven't seen it or if it's been a long time or just because it's fun to talk about. Yeah, and plus it's 20 years old, so we'll give you a mild spoiler warning, but you should know already. Yeah, no no spoiler warning. Come on. I watched it again (laughs) last night. And I was like, yep, it hits the same for me. It hasn't even changed as I've gotten older. It still really maintains, you know, that that just joyful spark. So Almost Famous, it's a it's funny, and it's a touching story in many different ways. It is about a 15-year-old kid who is smart and just kind of just terrifyingly earnest. Like, he knows no other way. Yeah. And who, through luck and pluck and just determination gets assigned by Rolling Stone magazine to do a profile of a rising rock band and the magazine has no idea that he is 15 years old which is pretty funny when they I call mean, him you could get away with that back in the 70s there's so much you could get away with because they weren't meeting in person no, and it's just it all was phone work all phone work there's faxes. no there's no zoom um well they make actually a funny comment at one point where they're like oh send us some pages there's this new thing invented which they don't call facts i forget what it's called but they're like it can send your notes a page at a time it only takes 18 minutes a page to send to us <laughs> which is like, like oh, oh sounds God. horrifying so william miller in the movie he's played by patrick fugit um as a boy he's really shaped by the fierce values of his mother um who's who's Frances McDormand. I'd like to use the word fierce. That's a fair idea. She's super fierce. And Cameron Crowe has said that Frances McDormand was 90% authentically his mother. So she had met with his mom and she really embraced the role. But she drives him to this concert that ends up changing his life. I really love that as she drives her son to to this concert... She leaves him with the mantra, don't do drugs. Yeah. She like yells out the window at this kid, like surrounded by people. It's like way, <laughs> way to put a bullseye right on this dude, like right off the bat, man. Oh, it's it's super funny. And I mean, his his mom was was pretty strict in everything. I mean, she is a college professor. She believes in like vegetarianism and progressive politics and the corrupting influence of rock music. So it's it was very difficult for her. I mean, she banned the rock albums of her older daughter, um, who's played by uh, Zoe Deschanel. Yes, and she holds up this album to like this Simon and Garfunkel, and she's like, "Look at them! You know what? You know what they're on? They're on pot. Look at their eyes! <laughs> like it's just really funny." Um, so anyway, the sister ends up leaving the house. She goes to be a stewardess because she's like, "I can't take this like stifling environment," and she. Um, bequeaths her albums to William and I love that she leaves a note in the one which I can't think which album it was maybe it was like Tommy or I feel like it was like Dark Side of the Moon or Tommy it was one one of the ones you'd expect maybe one of those and says like this song uh, or this one is like light a candle in your room at night and it's gonna like explain your life to you hippies man Hippies. hippies totally in a good way and then like she plays a song for her mom um explaining why she had to to leave home and become a stewardess. Her mom's like, we can't talk about this. And she's like, no, you have to just listen to music. Because I think this was really a time where, I mean, music meant so much to people. And I feel like that has always continued where it is so 
important in those formative years. Like it really shapes you. Yeah. And music is everything. And it's, you know, considering how quote unquote disposable some of the music is nowadays, you got to remember this is a time where like people didn't have the Internet. They didn't have quick access to people or there's no video games so basically sitting around listening to albums and thinking about it and all that that was basically how you entertained yourself for a lot of the time i would lay on my bed and listen to music for like 100 hours really see that that shows that was such a big thing for me that shows why you're smarter than me michelle because i was sitting around watching trash movies all the time so i got that (laughs) encyclopedia going but when it comes for musical taste gotta go to you yeah i mean i don't i can't say that it's like the best but there's a lot of really good it's, stuff. It's, it's Either gotta, way, it's gotta I was... got to be better than Troll 2, I'll tell you that. Uh, it's better than that. But <laughs> I was transformed. So in the film, William, he's 15. He's trying to write this article because, you know, Rolling Stone's like, hey, write us an article. So he ends up hooking up with this band called Stillwater, and he talks his way backstage in San Diego by really just knowing the band members' names and hurling these really accurate compliments on them he, because he's genuinely a huge fan of music. Oh, I mean, he, when you, if you throw the word incendiary at me, you'll yeah, definitely like, hey, man, exactly. come on, let's go hang out. So he wins the sympathy of Russell Hammond. That is the Billy Crudup character. He's the guitarist in the band, and he lets him in backstage. And then he meets his new guide to this world, this world of musicians and bands. And it's this young girl who says her name is Penny Lane. And that is the Kate Hudson character. She is not a groupie. Nope, not a groupie. Very important. She exp- this is very, she indignantly explains she is a Band-Aid. Band-Aid. <laughs> Which, okay, sure. That's what you want. That sounds better. The thing is that they feel groupies were of a time where those girls would just show up to have sex with people in bands just to kind of say that they did it, whereas they are here for the music. They love the music. They love the band as like a whole. I can't say that they would not end up being romantically interested in people of the band, but it's it's different. They're really there for the, the music. Yeah. Like, we think about groupies, I think more like the 80s. I think that's more of the... The stereotype for that I th- word. I think so, that it really just kind of changed from these band-aids to the groupie, which you kind of see yeah, at the end can, of the film. You see it film. happening as yeah. this movie goes along. So so he, he intends to be away from school for like a couple days and just write this little article about the band. But as Russell and the rest of Stillwater grow accustomed to his presence, he finds himself, he's on this bus, he's driving far into the Southwest to go on all of their tour, and along the way, he's really observing the tension between Russell and Jeff. Jeff is the lead singer, played by Jason Lee. By Jason Lee, rocking some awesome 70s long hair in this movie. I mean, Jason Lee is the person, I'm like, he looks like he should just be in this band. Yep. It looks completely appropriate. That dude gets it. He got the look down pat for sure. I'm, he, I wouldn't even have been surprised if that was just the look he was wearing at the time. I wouldn't be. There's like, I was just skateboarding and I just came to set and they put me in the movie. I know, right? Can we talk about how he was like a professional skateboarder? I know. A fun fact, before before he got in the Kevin Smith movies, that's what, his, that's what he was doing, which is pretty, I never would have guessed that at all. If you can't think of who he is, I guess he's probably just best known for mainstream wise for My Name is Earl. Yep. Earl with the big mustache. I like that show. I wish it would have gone on longer. Yeah, that was actually a good show. But I only checked it out because of him. Oh, I really absolutely. don't like those kind of episodic sitcom-y, like, ugh. No, yeah, uh, but the only reason to watch a show is Jason Lee, and it's because he's, he's great in everything. He's good in this movie. He's, he's the kind good. of jerky lead singer. Well, he's really upset because he feels that Russell is getting more attention 
than he is and like he is the lead singer of the rock band like you're supposed to be the you know the I, guy in the spotlight i gotta tell you you look at those guys you put those five dudes on a stage you're you're looking at russell i gotta tell you that's I how, mean, that's billy, how it works billy crudup is yeah there, there's an obvious star of this show everybody and it ain't jason lee i'll tell you that he's like he's really hot <laughs> this movie like i can't lie i was um he was forcefully rocking that 70s stash in this movie uh, hardcore hardcore and his beautiful feathered hair and i was listening to an interview with kate hudson where they were like oh it must have been hard to not like fall in love with him and she was like what I, I obviously did. I was like young. He was this beautiful movie star esque. She was like his hair. Like of course I was in love with him. I've, I've only <laughs> spent the last twenty years after that marrying rock stars for like twenty years. Oh, that's influence. weird. I never even thought about that. Yeah, so you know, no, it had no influence at all on her. Wow. <laughs> that's very interesting. So Another really interesting character that came from Cameron Crowe's life that really helped shape, shape it is the legendary rock critic Lester Bangs. So that's a real person, and in the film he's played by Philip Seymour Hoffman. Talk about, that's my favorite character in the movie. He crushes it in he, this movie. He crushes it. And half, a lot of the time he's just by himself, just doing a monologue to like to nothing, to a phone, and is just awesome the entire time. He He's perfection. So Lester Bangs is the editor of the um music magazine cream and he ends up meeting with William and he's like oh you're this kid who's been sending me all of these articles from your school paper but he really ignores his age and trusts his talent and is like well but they're good so I don't care that you're young Mm -hmm. because I respect these and they kind of you know, he shares his credo with him, which is be honest and unmerciful when you are trying to write about rock bands because they are going to woo you. You are going to be like, oh, my God, this is the coolest thing ever. And you're going to kind of want to write about how cool they are where he's like, you're not cool. You're never going to be cool. Like, so just write the truth. <laughs> yeah, which is great advice. That is excellent advice if you're going to be a successful writer for sure. I mean, it is. Being honest is is the main thing. And I think during a lot of moments of crisis on the road, William calls Bangs um, for advice. I also, I I really liked, I'm I'm sorry, all these stories because I was reading and listening to a lot of things about Almost Famous is um, when they wanted, they were interested in Philip Seymour Hoffman for the role. So they were like, oh, come in and audition. And he was like, oh, I, I don't audition. And they were like, oh. So he came and met with Cameron Crowe. And that day he was complaining because he was like, there were these billboards for like MasterCard because Martin Scorsese had like directed this whole MasterCard commercial. I I sort of remember those. Okay. And he was going off about like, this like loses the authenticity of him and of directors and of films. You know, very Lester Bangsy yeah. of like very. In a, he does this whole bit, and then they leave. And Cameron Crowe was like, "Well, I really love him, but I just I can't put him in the film without auditioning him." And that the casting director was there, and she's like, "Are you joking? He just auditioned. He just did that whole yeah. bit. It's exactly Lester Bangs." And Cameron Crowe was like, oh, "I was. It was so good. I, I, lo- <laughs> like, I, lo- I didn't even know he was like acting to me." I love the idea that the uh, the casting director <laughs> was sitting behind him, rolling their eyes the entire time. They're like, "Oh my god!" Like we get it, Seymour. It's great, and that Cameron Crowe said things that so during those scenes, like you said, where Philip Seymour Hoffman is great, he's just sitting in a room, 
you know, listening to music and doing this and that, that Cameron Crowe's like, I would really spice things up a lot and play music. He's like, I've done that in other films. He's like, Tom Cruise was like, that's always great when you put music on to motivate people. So he was like, all right. So he did it in one scene and Philip Seymour Hoffman was like, cut, stop. And they're like, what? And he was like, what makes you think the music you're playing is better than the music I'm playing in my own head? (laughs) They were like, all right, Philip Seymour Hoffman. Like, like, all right, guy. All right, calm down. Like, but he's so good that that's what, you know. Yeah, I mean, you're a good enough actor. You get to make those kind of screams And they were stage. like, it was good for the kid, Patrick Fugit, because they were like, it was good for him to see that this isn't this is a thing where you can ask for what you need or, you know, say things like that. Like, you don't have yeah. to just go along with everything. Which, like I said, he's a young kid in this movie. Like, it's good, you know. You know, don't be afraid of the director. Just tell him what you want, and we can make it happen. Just be honest about it. Everything just feels so real. I mean, yeah. the Lester Banks character, and even the, the uh, who's the guy from Rolling Stone? Oh, Ben Fong Tours. Oh, yeah. They're, I, they are, have, like, look-alike actors. So everything feels so real that at times it's really possible to believe that Stillwater is a real band because they do, the music they do is good, pretty good too. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, like, um, yeah, I don't know. So it's a film, it's really about like the world of rock, but it's not a rock film. It It's like a, a like a um, of the time kind of thing. Like it's a view of the seventies that like you don't mm-hmm. get nowadays and the way music was then and the way and, it kind of ch- it, the way it was changing at the time and becoming what it is now, more corporate, more worried about money and definitely like, all that kind of stuff as opposed to worried about the fans and the music. And I think it's definitely like I said, it's a it's a coming of age story. It's a it's an idealistic and it's kid. Not, and it's not just the coming of age story for the kid either. It's for the band itself or um, absolutely Kate it's Hudson, pretty much everybody about seeing the real world and kind of witnessing its cruelties and its heartbreaks and yet finding so much room for hope. And it's actually a pretty funny movie, too. There's a lot of surprising humor a lot of it's done by Frances mcdormand actually oh, she <laughs> even is. though she's supposed to be such a stern character probably one of the better every things. scene she steals every scene that she's in but that's just like that's, that is yeah, Frances Mc, that mcdormand i mean for a character who really had no backstory no st- no real relevance to kind of moving the plot forward she steals every scene. Yeah, you put a lesser actress in there. It's like a forgettable mom character. She yeah. actually makes it work, which is, you know, that's impressive. And, oh, well, let me just clear something that just popped in my head. Um, what we said earlier, the Russell Hammond character, the Billy Crudup, that's actually based on Glenn Fry of the Eagles. Oh. That's what I meant. I Ooh, forget. I like him less now. Because he, because Cameron actually toured with all of these, like, Incredible bands. Eh, incredible in quotation marks for the Eagles. That's a discussion for another time. Oh though. boy, it is. All right, how about I feel this could be a scene. Let's see how you feel about one of the more famous scenes of the movie, the Tiny Dancer sing along. I don't like the song Tiny Dancer. So what? I, I I don't. I'm not really an Elton John guy, but like I get. I like the what the scene means. It's such yes. It's such yeah. an important scene. They took two full days to just film that scene. Really? Yeah. Wow. I, I would love to think that like if they took two full days to film it and then they end up using like the second take. <laughs> oh, I know. And you'd be like, what? I mean, it's really funny because Tiny Dancer wasn't even really a famous song. 
at that point, which is hard to remember. Yeah, it is. It's like a big time one of his songs now. And Elton John saw the movie and he was like, I love that song. Like, that's one of my personal favorite songs that I wrote. And he was like, you really understand it. Like, I'm so happy like someone understood it and put it in this film. And then he, Elton John, started playing it in his shows because of that movie. Oh, he didn't play it in no. shows before? Oh. And now he has, he's never stopped. Yeah, it's like a staple. Even I know, like, you go to the show, you're going to hear Tiny Dancer and Rocket Man. A hundred percent. And it's totally because of um, Almost Famous. Patrick Fugit was like, yeah, anytime I go anywhere with a jukebox, yep. he's like, someone puts on Tiny Dancer and then they just stare at me until I react. Yep. <laughs> I, I feel bad for him in that regard. Like, that's a rough existence. Um, You're going to a bar to have a good time and Tiny Dancer starts. You know, like, I mean, for me, I love Tiny Dancer, but this kid's like, come on, man, let me let me outgrow it. But, you know, and then it's really just him and his article and how it all ends up working out after all that he's seen. What a hilarious and heartwarming masterpiece of a film, in my opinion. Oh, it's just one of the best. Like, it was one of those ones when I was younger, I didn't really appreciate it. And then and yeah, I watched it as I got older and then I started liking it more and more. And then we actually pay attention to what's going on. It's fabulous. Oh, yeah. And, and I mean, what's crazy is that when it came out, critics really berated it. Oh, they hated it. For its lack of sex and drugs. But in 2005, Crow was, you know, talking to a magazine and he was like, all of my rock star friends understand the film. He's like, it was those. And this is a quote. It was those guys that were the biggest fans of Almost Famous that said, yeah, sex and drugs and stuff are a part of rock and roll, but a true musician never picks up the guitar at first because they just want sex and drugs. It's usually because a record, you know, blew their head off and they never could go back to whatever they wanted to do before. And that is what Almost Famous is about. It's about getting your head blown off by a piece of music and everything else is secondary. So Cameron Crowe has said, like, there's lots of films that you can go watch to see, you know, the drugs and the debauchery in music. He's like, that's not the film I was making. It's kind of like how you see it through the eyes of like a 15 year old. And the the magic in that, and I really love it. You know what's kind of funny about that is that he said that to audiences, and then they were all kind of like, okay, because this movie was a big time bomb. It was a sixty million dollar budget and only made forty seven, so it was a it did not make any money. We have really layered performances. I don't. I mean, Kate Hudson really broke out. She was she shined in this film. Philip Seymour Hoffman, as always. Also, he shot his whole part in four days. And he was super, super sick with the flu. Oh, was he? Yeah, they were like... That's his kind of luck. They were like, oh, he would lay in his trailer dying. And then they'd be like, it's time. And then he'd get up, be a perfect actor, and then go back to dying. Which is pretty great. (laughs) I love that. Also, Philip Seymour Hoffman, he couldn't even tell. Like, this dude just walked around sweaty and greasy looking all the time. Yeah, I mean, well, Lester Bang. Well, no, I get it, but it's like... Horrible, like, cough syrup addiction which is such a weird oh, so he was on the drink oh man um it's what killed him when he died it was like cough syrup and valium was an overdose Whoa, that's okay. really it's really terrible so you know they but again he didn't need to overplay that it wasn't no. about that for him it was what you know lester bangs kind of gave to him and speaking of like the patrick fugit kid he really i think he was so perfectly cast he's you know? great he's great he hasn't really done much since then but he, he was like he was great it. for this movie he really captured kind of the like the cockiness but the innocence of youth at the same time yeah when this kid gets those doe eyes going 
boy, he oh, has those, got him on full on. It like, is really high true. <laughs> it's really true. They're so great. So yeah, I'm gonna say Cameron Crowe has had um, a lot of great films, but this I think was the most important to him. I mean, this is a kid who he won tickets from a local radio station to an Iron Butterfly concert really? when he was like 13 or 12, and that band was it, that they were not allowed to be played in his house. His mom did not permit it, but he won these tickets. She let him go. And then by 13, he was writing for the school newspaper and an underground newspaper, which was how he met Lester Bangs and which allowed him to write for Rolling Stone and travel with Led Zeppelin and the Allman Brothers and things like that. Like, Which and, is pretty awesome. And marry Nancy Wilson. Like, it's cool get her, life, get her man. To write, get her to write the music for your movie. Like, got a whole bunch of things going on. Seriously. So what other, what did we, did we cover all of his big films? So Fast well, Times at Ridgemont High, we know he wrote. Yeah, he wrote that one. Um, Jerry Maguire. Jerry Maguire, which, oh, man, that thing song in Jerry Maguire, man. Every time I think of that, that little Bruce Springsteen mumble song that he has in oh, there. He loves Bruce Springsteen hey, so much. He, I hate Bruce Springsteen so much. Oh, boy. So, um, he did Say Singles. Anything. Oh, Singles. He did Singles. We're any. missing a big one. He did Vanilla Sky. That's what I'm thinking. Vanilla <laughs> Sky. I saw that movie 20 years ago. Still don't understand what the heck was going on in that thing. That's a very strange. I like the original. I don't like Vanilla Sky so much. Because it's a remake, in case you did not know that. I did not know that. Yeah, it's called, uh, It's I forgot the Spanish name, but it's Open Your Eyes in Spanish. And Penelope Cruz stars in that one, too. Really? Yeah, so Vanilla Sky is a remake, and the other movie's not much more accessible. Oh, slightly, wow. Slightly more <laughs> understandable. Have you ever seen Vanilla Sky? It's worth checking out at least once, I man. mean, I think Cameron Crowe is really a director to love. You feel his love of film and his love of creation and everything. Mm -hmm. I have only heard super positive things from actors who have worked from him that feel really, really genuine. Oh, yeah. Of like, we had so much fun on set. He's so great. He's so understanding. You'd be nervous and he'd be like, cool, let's, he'd like sit and chat with him for like an hour just to loosen people up. But it was like not, he's not annoyed. He's like, well, let's just talk about stuff. We'll talk about music. And then like, cool. I now like, you're good to go. I like in my head, I have this story in Jerry Maguire that like they're half, they're almost done filming and then Tom Cruise comes up to him and he's like, you know, I haven't, I haven't run in this movie at all. We have, <laughs> we have to get a scene where I'm running. And Cameron's like, you know what? Let's go to the airport. We'll film something Any, for you. Anything you need, Tom, I'm going to do for you. I also want that running box office because we know that, that I, they are late. Hey, hey, it worked. It worked. It totally worked. <laughs> so, yeah, I guess, you know, that ends up being our, our episode. I just think Almost Famous is a is a really important movie. and It's fabulous, guys. If you haven't seen yeah. it, go check it out right away. You are not going to be disappointed. You probably end up going by the soundtrack immediately after. Oh, the soundtrack is we, just... We could spend a whole episode just on that. We could. I, I mean, I really do love the music of that of that time i would say one of the most influential bands for me was led zeppelin mm -hmm. um what i appreciate is that this is the 70s movies and there's no like vietnam rock anywhere to be found in this entire movie like you know like fortunate son and like sure sure they, do, they just kept it really well it's more like whenever they do documentaries about the 70s it's always like the same six songs that's always in the trailers or in them yeah. i'm happy that they branched out a little bit and got into actual good songs for this movie yeah minus the the credits intro song what was the credits intro song? 
the Alvin and the Chipmunks Christmas. Well, that's a, that's probably the highest selling song of all. I of have them, to, to like understand why he did that. I've been meaning to be like, why I think, did you? Was it just the antithesis of music? Because everybody loves the Chris, um, Ch- Chipmunks uh, Christmas song. Not everybody, Jacob. See, see? Not everybody. I am a gaster so. <laughs> now. You're just mad because you didn't get a hula hoop for Christmas. When oh, you were young. I can't stand you. Okay, that. I mean, that's it. So why don't you plug us out? So. Everything that we talked about today, Fast Times at Ridgemont High, uh, Almost Famous Jerry Maguire, they're all going to be available at your local library. we got 37 branches all over Erie County, so stop on by and uh, say hi. Go visit our website at www.buffalolib.org. we got a bunch of online stuff there for you. Check your account, place ebook holds, all that good stuff. And don't forget to follow us on Twitter at AllBookedUpPod and uh, let us know what you think of Almost Famous. Yeah, please, please do. So a couple of facts to end with are going to be about, you'll never guess, about Almost Famous. Really? I, um, I did not see that coming. I really liked that the early version of the script, it was called Untitled Forever, but not just because he hadn't thought of a name, but because he had made so many films and Led Zeppelin had so many albums and they had their untitled album. He liked mm. the idea of having his film be called Untitled. and then yeah, That's a deep cut. It is, but... I think Almost Famous is a better title. Yes, I think so too. Um, I really love that the role of Russell Hammond and Penny Lane were originally offered to Brad Pitt and Sarah Polly respectively. I'm not Ooh. sure if you know who she I is. I do you, know okay. Sarah Polly. I don't like her in that role. Though. I don't either. And she actually felt that she was miscast. Yeah, I did, and big time. Kate Hudson had been offered the role of the sister. She had oh. Zoe Deschanel's role. So when Sarah Polly dropped out, she was like, "Can I please, please audition for Penny Lane?" And Cameron Crowe was like, "I just don't see you as it." And then she did it in a way, and they were like, "Oh." Actually, you're fantastic because she's based on a real person that yeah. Cameron Crowe knew during that time. Um, Actually, I wouldn't mind Zoe Deschanel in that role either. I think he's of Penny. Yeah, I think they could both work in that role. It's so I like hard Kate for Hudson me. Better, but I could see him. Both I, I have a really hard time seeing them after the fact. Um, but Brad Pitt, they said, was actually great and they loved him and he met with Patrick and they had good energy. This is, of course, Michelle's personal friend because, you know, she was on Friends with her, with his ex-wife. So. Yeah, that's that's it. Um, but he really just couldn't, he just couldn't really see it. He didn't really get the role. So he ended up, All right, that's he fair ended up dropping out. That's but fair enough. That's fair enough. And I love that Patrick Fugit grew three inches during the filming of this movie resulting in multiple costume refits and that near the end of filming co-star so billy crudup they have this big scene together and he had to wear platform shoes to ensure ensure continuity because the kid was now taller than him the the kid pulled a brand on him and he just (laughs) shot up his voice also changes during the shoot and because they shoot this film in chronological order which is not common um towards the end of the film he definitely has like a different voice he has a deeper voice that's a smart move by cameron crow that he lucked into that one Oh, he really that, did. It fits narratively, too. Like, he started a kid, but he's a man by the end of this movie. Wow, Jacob's got it. All right, you guys, thank you so much for listening, and we will catch you next time. Bye.